Good morning. My name is Zach, and I am the pastor of Community and Global Outreach here. And one of the things I get to do here is help kind of oversee all of the mission stuff that we've got going on. And today we've got one of our beloved missionaries from uh, Uganda. Uh, for those of you guys that don't know Dr. Val, you might recognize her as Dr. Val Sheen, <laughs> but now it's Dr. Val Lomillo. Um, her husband, Waffle, is holding down the fort in Uganda right now. And <clears throat> they're doing a lot of neat stuff. They're work, they do a lot of like veterinary stuff, working with animals. And then over the years, they've done a lot of work doing church planting, discipling pastors, and even helping kind of establish peace in areas where there was no peace. Uh, and a, a fun fact, a couple of years ago, my kids and I were on a road trip and we were listening to those adventures in Odyssey story. And I'm listening to the story, I'm like, this sounds really familiar. Turns out Adventures in Odyssey made a story about Dr. Val and the Peace Villages over there. So with that said, I want to let Dr. Val just share a little bit, of, a little update just about what's going on and anything that you want to, else you want to share. Thank you. Well, thanks so much, Zach. It's wonderful to be with you guys. It's great to have some time to come back to America and take hot showers and be all clean. So, <laughs> um, so um, I'm here just for a few months. Um, I've been living up in the northeast corner of Uganda. We work with a nomadic tribe called the Karamajong. Um, they're a very uh, uh, isolated tribe there. They're also very violent and aggressive. And so it's been challenging over the years to, to try to help to bring peace to the area. And we had a, a decade where things were going really well and um, we had the peace program that we had done was moving along quite nicely. Uh, but then uh, um, just last year, um, there was uh, elections there. And so people uh, were, the politicians got guns and gave them out to the Karamajong to raid the cows so that they could get money for their, um, for their elections. So then the, those, those guys started raiding and then other people had to get guns. And so the armament kept escalating, escalating. And now there's guns back in Karamoja again. So the place is very difficult. This last year was just really a year of darkness in Karamoja, both with the raiding and the fighting and the army coming with helicopter gunships and dropping bombs on people and animals. And then we had a famine. So it was no food for the people. And so especially the elderly um, were getting very weak and many died. And then the small children didn't have enough food to eat. And so I was, Waffle and I were really trying to help to uh, resolve some of those things, both through the peace building as well as bring food to the people. We were providing food for the elders in the community, about 2,000 elders. And then we set up feeding centers for the little kids. And so little by little, the people were getting some strength. Um, but then now we come to a new year and we said, now we can't keep feeding people forever. What do we do? And so Waffle came to the States and was able to do some fundraising and people, um, both from Rolling Hills and other churches around were able to give funds for us to buy a tractor. And so Waffle's out there on the Kubota now. He's driving, <laughs> he's very happy. <laughs> so it's like a light has dawned on Karamoja now. The people see a hope. Last year was a year of hopelessness and sadness and death. You know, I'd, uh, running around trying to get enough food for people is very difficult for us. You know, you're, you're trying to do everything you do to get food. And then you make appointments in different villages and sometimes you'd get there too late to the villages and you'd come and you'd see the graves of the elderly people that you'd met the other month. And you were looking forward to seeing them and providing something for them and they didn't make it. And so now God is putting that hope back in the hearts of the people. 
they know that God loves them. When, when Waffle comes to the tractor, the ladies are so fun. They start dancing and praising God. They're jumping up and down and praising God for the tractor and bringing flowers for the tractor. <laughs> so it's just God is really working. And we can see that uh, there's a potential for the future. And even in the midst of this, uh, people are getting saved. They're recognizing that God is working. We had a whole baptism of 87 people, uh, especially the elderly people, because they're, they feel that they're old and no one should love them. They should just die. And now when they see that you, we care about them, they came forward. People who had been raiders and killed people, murderers and uh, rapists, they all came for baptism. And so it was so, such an amazing time to be together and to see God work. So we really appreciate you guys' support uh, and all that, uh, all that you do to help us to be encouraged out there. We love you guys and welcome you to come. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's a wonderful place. God bless you. Thanks. Well, speaking of welcoming to come, uh, there is going to be, there's a, we're trying to work on getting a trip going in April next year. Mm-hmm. So uh, mm-hmm. you know, part of it's like mm-hmm. kind of specialized working with Celebrate Recovery stuff. Mm-hmm. But if going to Uganda intrigues you, um, like helping helping them out with some of the mission stuff. I know like there's construction stuff that they yes. need. Any other yeah. kind of big projects? Um, that... There's a there's some work with the with the students. We have a, a spiritual retreat for the students. It's kind of like a VBS, and so we welcome people to come for that and help the kids to be mentored. There's a lot of uh, children whose parents have died in the fighting or in the different diseases that they have there, and so they don't have people to look up to. So we're trying to do these uh, these spiritual retreats for the youth and to bring them together and learn about God. Okay, so if you got any of that intrigues you, um, probably shoot me an email because if you come talk to me, I'm not going to remember. Um, but uh, let's just pray for Dr. Val and the, the ministry that they've got going on. So if you guys want to extend your hand, great. If you're just going to pray right there, that's also fine. Uh, Father, I just thank you for um, Dr. Val and Waffle, and I just thank you for the um, not only just the, the ministry partners, but the friends that they've been to so many of us. Um, we just, um, Lord, we, we see their heart. And we are grateful for their love for you and for the people that you put them with. Um, Father, we just pray that you'll continue to come along and encourage them and strengthen them. Lord, we know that sometimes ministry is hard and they can just be discouraging. And I, Lord, we want to be an encouragement to them, but I also pray that you'll provide encouragement to them over there as well. Um, Father, we just thank you for the hope that you're bringing through simple things like a little Kubota tractor. Um, we pray that you'll continue to bring hope and healing to their land as they um, continue to minister there. Um, I just pray that you'll continue to put people in their lives that are going to be um, new partners um, in their ministry that will help them continue to, to grow and expand the reach that you're having there. Um, Father, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. <laughs> For those of you who are watching the stream at home, everything, it, you know, that, was, that was seamless. For those of you in the room, you're like, what is, what is going on? The stage was empty. Um, Val and Zach were not here. So Val was able to be here at the nine o'clock, but then, uh, so we just, we filmed her uh, in person at the nine. And so that you could still kind of uh, catch what's going on uh, with Val and Waffle and their ministry. So for you 11 o'clockers, you know, you got, you got to sleep in, but you didn't get Val in person. But uh, at least you got to, you got to uh, hear what's going on. Uh, I feel like I'm in good company. Uh, years ago, we were hosting a Mission Connection conference here. And, uh, so the room and the campus is filled with thousands of missionaries as they get equipped and uh, they're taught and encouraged and they, they go back into the field. And the, one of the keynote speakers was the great evangelist, uh, global evangelist Luis Palau, uh, who lived here, but he's, he now lives with Jesus. And he was uh, sitting ready 
to speak to the packed room as the keynote speaker, but right before he got up, Val just shared a little bit of what she was doing, and Luis was just overcome, and he's like, I can't follow her. Like, we just need to hear more of this woman. Let's tell more. And so um, I feel like I'm, you know, right in that same thing. I can't follow Val. What am I going to do? So me and Luis were just like that. Uh, I do want to welcome you again to Rolling Hills. My name's Aaron. I'm the worship pastor here, but I also share some of the teaching responsibilities with uh, a handful of other people on the team that Bill, our lead pastor, coaches. If this is your first time here and you were hoping to hear Bill, uh, you missed him by a week, but he'll be back next week. Uh, he and about a busload of other people from our church have spent the last uh, almost two weeks in uh, visiting New Testament churches in Turkey and Greece. And they've, they've made it back, but uh, Bill will be back in the saddle here next week, so make sure uh, you come back for that. And I do want to, yeah, welcome back. Uh, I, I know some of you who are traveling, I see you here. You're back from your, your Thanksgiving trip, the Turkey-Greece trip. Um, sorry, dad joke. I can't help it. So if you're just joining us, we're in the middle of a series that is going the entire year with a few little breaks, but we're going through the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible. It's 50 chapters long, and we're right now, right in the meat of the book, and chapters 12 through 25 focus in on the life of a man named Abraham. And his, his name is, even if you aren't familiar with church, a lot of you will know, you know, Father Abraham. So you know about this guy. Um, up to this point where we've been studying him, he's still called Abram. That's the name he was born with. And, but, and later on, we will find in a couple of chapters where his name gets changed to Abraham. And what we're doing here is the chapter that we're at is um, Genesis 15. I think it's one of the most central chapters in the book and in the Bible. And within it is one of the most important verses that we need to have an understanding of as it pertains to us and our faith. Where we are in Abraham's life is that he's having, he's having a crisis of faith. And I think maybe many of you have had that in the past, um, but for us to kind of get a sense of who he is and, and, and where he is, I do want to make sure that I, I provide you with some maps, you know, maps and timelines. Abram lived about 4,000 years ago. And Rick, one of our other teachers, and Bill, they've brought some really great maps that have helped us to understand exactly what's going on and where. And so I made a map as well. I just want to, you know, level up my game here. So let's take a look at a map. This will help you see where he is. So right there in the middle. Not to scale, everyone. Uh, I drew it myself, in case you didn't... Uh, and for those who are back from the Greece and Turkey trip, you will notice I forgot to draw Greece and Turkey. Like, they don't exist. They got swallowed up by the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, cartography is not in my future. All right, but that, that's Abram. That, that's basically where he is, basically. Uh, I'm going to make the case that Genesis 15 gives us a, an anatomy of faith, what biblical faith is, faith in God. Um, what it is, what it isn't. And the case I'm going to make is that faith in the Bible is uh, it's like a tree. It has roots, it grows, and it has fruit. And we're going to see all of those things pop up as we dive into this chapter. And we discover what happens when it's been 10 years since we first were introduced to Abram. 
And God calls him out of his homeland, which is almost near Kuwait, so southern, southeastern Iraq. Uh, the, at that time, it was called Ur of the Chaldeans. And he says, hey, pick up all your stuff, leave, and go to a land that I'm going to show you. So with very little to go on, Abram says, okay. And he takes up, and now he's living in this land. He's living in, it's a, it's a foreign land, foreign people to him. Uh, he's a stranger in a strange land. And it's been 10 years, and God had said, I'm going to build a family. I'm going to build you a family. And through your family, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And Abram is now going, it's been 10 years. Uh, I got no kids. How's this going to work? How's this going to work? And God meets him in this moment where he's figuring, you know, trying to figure out who is this that I've put my faith in and my trust in because things aren't working out the way I was hoping. So let's pray. And we're going to read through the whole chapter and then unpack it together. So let's pray together. God, thank you that you are someone we can root our faith in, uh, that you want to experience life with us. You want to engage with us in our process of growing to know you and that you want to bring peace to us through our faith. So uh, teach me today, teach all of us as we uh, dig into this word that you have gifted us with, uh, that we can know you more, love you more, serve you more, and um, be your ambassadors in this world. In the name of Jesus, we pray this. Amen. Okay, the, the chapter is not long, even though it's um, critical uh, to our understanding of who God is and, and how he wants us to relate to him in faith. So I'm just going to read the whole thing so we get an understanding of like the order of how all this stuff plays out, and then we'll talk more about it. So here we go. Our Bibles right now, because it's graduation season, we, we pull them for that. So if you have a Bible, you can follow along. If not, just listen. I'll try and read it in my best storytelling voice. Uh, sit back and enjoy them. All right, Genesis 15, after these things. Okay, sorry, first pit stop. What things? What are we talking about? Uh, we got to remember that uh, the Bible is a unified story, and we're dropping in right in the middle of one. So in my opinion, the after these things is referring to what has just happened in the previous chapter that uh, Rick Tillman taught on two weeks ago and Jason taught on just last week. In a nutshell, uh, Abram has been in this strange land. He's a stranger in a strange land, which makes him vulnerable. He's been flying under the radar a bit, but um, two weeks ago, he had to rescue Lot. There was a war, Lot was uh, captured, and so Abram had to go to war to rescue his nephew. And so in doing so, he's made himself conspicuous. So he realizes now he's, he's a known quantity in this world, in this land that he's in, and I'm sure he's a little worried now that he's a target. He's vulnerable. So that's one thing. And then he's visited by this guy, Melchizedek, this mysterious king priest from this uh, area called Salem, which would later become Jerusalem. And this guy, Melchizedek, blesses Abram. And so Abram's going, okay, I'm, I'm a target now. I'm more vulnerable. But then this guy is blessing me, and I'm waiting 10 years, and uh, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm kind of afraid. So after these things, the word of the Lord, that's an important phrase we'll come back to. It came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus, basically an employee. It's like my employee is going to get all my stuff. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. 
And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. There's that phrase again. Now that phrase is exclusively reserved in the Old Testament to prophets. So while Abram has not explicitly been called a prophet yet, this would tell the reader, ah, we're to consider Abram a prophet. The word of the Lord says, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he, Abram said, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And God said to him, bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon and a partridge, you know. Uh, <laughs> and he brought him all these. They cut them in half and laid each half over the other. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now, just a little window into what this is. It kind of sounds gory and gross. That's ancient Near East practice. It was common in that area that if two people, two parties are gonna make a deal together, if they're gonna cut a deal, uh, what they would do is make a covenant together. And the way they would secure that covenant was with this ritual symbol. They would bring animals out, they would cut them in half and set the halves over each other, basically make a pathway. And then there's gonna be, it's gonna be gross. The blood of those animals is gonna be all in the pathway. And they both, both parties walk between those animals and they basically call a curse down on themselves saying, may it be to me like these animals if I don't fulfill my end of the bargain. So if I don't do what I said I'm gonna do, if I go back on my vows, may I be just like these animals that I'm walking through over their blood with. So it's a covenant that's secured in blood and vows and curses, okay? Hang on to that little thought, we'll come back to it. As the sun was going down, a, a deep sleep fell on Abram and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. He's telling him the Exodus story, right? The story of Moses. He's telling him in advance, this is what's gonna happen. And who are our first readers of Genesis? The Israelites who've just been rescued from Egypt. So they're going, hey, that's us. That's us, we're in the story. Awesome. They'll be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Now the Amorites is a general name that they used for all the people in that land. In other words, he said that they're not, they're not bad or evil enough for me to justify kicking them out yet. He's giving the people in that land time to change their ways or confirm them. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes our waiting is because of God's patience and justice on behalf of somebody else. We have to remember we're part of God's story. The whole world doesn't always orbit around us. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces, the pieces of the animals that had been cut in half. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, 
the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim. You know, they had to be different and not be bites. I don't know, they were. Uh, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. That's the word of the Lord. All right, that's Genesis 15. Let's unpack this here in the next 16-ish minutes. So remember, we talked about faith being a tree with roots, growth, and fruit. All right, so first, the root of faith is trust in God. Trust in God, who he is and what he says. Notice when we read through this, what does God say when, when Abram's asking questions and when God comes to him? Does he say, okay, here's how it's going to work. Now, he does kind of unpack a little bit of when it's going to happen, but he's not talking about, all right, I know you're old and Sarah's old, and, uh, but let me explain to you how you know, you're going to get pregnant. Or, he says, fear not, I am. Fear not, I am. I'm your shield, right? Abram's worried about uh, the fact that he's now vulnerable. So God says, I'm your shield. I'm your protector. And your reward will be great. In the New International Version, it says, I am your great reward. I think sometimes we're so concerned about the things God might give us that we forget that our real reward is the giver, not the gift. And God is just graciously coming to Abram and saying, hey, put your faith in me. Put your trust in me, even when it makes no sense. So he's reminding him, I am, I am. Twice he says his name there, I am. He's reminding Abram that he's, he's faithful, he's true. I've been with you and I will continue to be with you. I'm the same God 10 years ago that called you. So I love that song that we sang today, the same God. And Abram could be thinking about that. Well, you promised me then and you're here promising me now. And he doesn't have a Bible with him. He does He's learning as he goes what it is to trust in this God and who this God is. We often look at our timing and we, we get frustrated. I know uh, my wife and I, uh, we had our timing for our family planning all laid out and we had it all, it was, it was gonna work really great. Uh, and we, uh, we will do five years of like career and having fun and then we'll just have kids and it'll just work. And uh, five years came and we decided to start having kids and three years later, we still didn't have any kids. I'm like, gosh, God, what's going on, right? And every month you're like, I don't know. What is the deal? But God, uh, he just kept reminding us who he is. And I think some of our richest time with God um, came during that time where we, we couldn't control outcomes and we couldn't control circumstances. Uh, you know, we were trying to, you know, do stuff and, but um, it was really up to God. Uh, and it was up to us whether we were going to engage with God in that process and trust that he's part of it. Uh, there was a day I was having like morning devotions when I was a CPA working downtown. And so I'm just kind of spending time with God. Okay, God, what's... Um, and then I got called to the front desk and I said, oh, I'll be right back. <laughs> I was like, wait, was I just talking out loud to God? Did I tell him I'll be right back? Um, I thought it was weird, but I also thought it was interesting that it, it uh, my relationship with God in that season had come to the point that it was so conversational and familiar that it was just like talking with somebody that's right there. And uh, God wants that for us. And so when we are having these faith crises moments, and they often happen at night where you've got those sleepless nights, 
I think Abram was having a sleepless night and God comes to him, fear not, I am, I am. I'm your shield. I am the Lord. And he gives us his name, Yahweh, right? He's not slow. Second Peter 3, 9 through 10 even says this. Uh, let's take a look at that. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Remember, we talked about the iniquity of the Amorites is not complete. God's being patient with them. But what happens? Genesis 15, 6, Abram's response to all this, he believed the Lord. And right there, that Lord, it's all caps. That means Yahweh. So it says he believed Yahweh. That's the personal name of God. So what we see here is the root of this faith is in the person of God. Abram's asking questions about how and when, and God reminds him who he is. Abram doesn't get all the answers, but he decides to just believe Yahweh. And there's a second half to that verse that we're gonna come back later, what that means for him. Our faith needs to be rooted in God, who he is. Anything else, if we try to understand circumstances, if we try to understand all that stuff, it's not gonna work out. So it's rooted in God, and then it's grown. Our faith is grown through life with him. That means honest prayer, it means listening, and it means obeying. What I love about Genesis 15 is that it differs a little bit from Genesis 12. In Genesis 12, the first time we meet Abram and God calls him, Abram just does it. So God says, hey, leave. So Abram just does it. Here, we get backtalk <laughs> from Abram. We get a dialogue. How am I to know? What will you give me? God, look, I don't have any. He's talking back to God. Abram expresses frustration and concern and misunderstanding. He doesn't know how this is gonna work and he dialogues with God about it. And I think that's a sign of increased faith, not decreased faith. The more that we're wrestling with our doubts, I think is an indicator that you're actually taking God seriously. I know for us with our kids, the most pushback we get from our kids is when they're taking us seriously. Like we've asked them to do something, you know, if they're like, oh yeah, sure, I'll do that, whatever. Well, if they're walking away and there's no argument, then it, it may be that they're just like, ah, I don't really, maybe they'll forget about it. It's when they think that we're serious about it that they really push back. Well, how am I gonna get that done if I already got my homework to do and I got, that? that's when they're taking us seriously. And here, I think this is a sign that Abram is really counting on what God has said. He's like, you've said this is gonna happen. How's it gonna happen? Now I'm a marked man in this strange world. We're older than dirt. It's 10 years since you said, and I don't, I'm gonna have to, all my stuff's gonna go to an employee of mine. He's probably asking all these questions at night. Why do I say that? Because God says, okay, Abram, get up, get out of the tent. Let's go for a walk. God brought him outside. Look at the verse. Whoop, here I am, sorry. He brought him outside. I love that. It's so personal. It doesn't say God told Abram to go outside. He brought him. He's with him in his questions. 
Look toward heaven, number the stars if you're able to number them. And then he said, so shall your offspring be. I've got a picture of the Negev Desert, which is really close to where Abram was. That's what the night sky looks like there. You know, we think, look at the stars, and we, you know, in our area, we got all light pollution and clouds. You know, you go and you look at it, you're like, oh, I got five. I can count five stars. Uh, but for Abram, I'm, I just imagine God coming with them, and maybe they had a fire. Sit down, Abram. Come on. Go ahead, count. I got time. Oh, you lost count. Let's you start again. Go ahead. Try again. So shall your offspring be. I got this, Abram. He gives him something. He recalibrates Abram's perspective. Look up. And he recalibrates his timing. Okay, it's me. I got this. I got this, right? You gotta, when we read the Bible, it is important for us to read the text as it says it, but also to read with the imagination. Imagine the tone. Imagine the place. Let it come alive to you. Let it come alive to you. I love that the perspective of Abram is, you know, it, and it's simple stuff. When you're stuck at night and you got the questions pinning around and they just keep cycling and cycling and you can't sleep, just imagine God says, all right, get up, let's go for a walk. Look up. Let God do that. Run to God in your doubt. He's big enough for it. He's big enough for the questions. He's big enough for the arguments. Uh, he likes that stuff because it means your faith is growing. You're taking God seriously. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. He brought him outside. All right, finally, let's take a look at the fruit of faith. The fruit of faith is peace with God. And that means being made right with God. So peace with God doesn't just mean you get along. Like, oh, good. Or like, oh, I'm relaxed now. I can just kind of breathe easy. It's a very specific term. It means righteousness, being declared righteous, okay? And let's go back to that verse, the second half of verse six, Genesis 15, six. All right, the first half is Abram's thing. Abram believed the Lord. He believed Yahweh. The second half is God's thing. He counted it to him as righteousness. We'll, we'll unpack the meaning of the word righteousness in a moment, but the meaning of the word counted in Hebrew is kasab. It's a very simple word. Uh, the other places that it's used in that same book of Genesis is just when you see something and you call it what you see it. Just, I'm calling it what I see it. And God says, I see that and I kasab that, I count that as righteousness. He believes in me. He doesn't understand how all this is going to work, but he's putting all of his trust in who I am and what I've said. And I'm going to call that righteousness. I'm going to make him right with me. The word righteousness in Hebrew, tzedakah, all right? And its forms show up all over the place. Uh, there's a priest named Zadok that's based on that tzedakah. Melchizedek, that we learned about last week, that Zedek, righteousness. It's all over the Bible. It means to be in the right, to be right, to be just or justified. 
It's a state of acceptance by God that comes as a result of perfect obedience. Okay, hang on. Abram has not obeyed perfectly. He's already messed up a few times, and as we're going to learn, he's going to mess up more. His life is filled with failure. How is God looking at Abram's life and saying, I call that righteousness? It's because God is saying, based on your trust in me and my word, I'm going to call you and consider you righteous. I'm going to say, Abram, you're good. You're good. Uh, when I worked at a record company in Nashville, our headquarters for the company was in Times Square, New York. Uh, so my boss and I, we had to fly there for a couple of days to test some software for the accounting system that we had. My first time to New York. So we fly into LaGuardia and the car service takes us uh, into Manhattan. And uh, we've got where it's a hotel on Times Square. And uh, I'm just, it's like 11.45 at night and we're hungry. So we go to the, uh, we go to the McDonald's on Times Square and buy $8 Big Macs. And I'm just, I'm overwhelmed by the, the energy and the size and the speed of this great city. And it's just, it is the city that never sleeps. And it's like, it might, be, might as well be in the middle of the day. And uh, so I'm just, I'm just so, I'm such a rookie in this city. And uh, the next day we go and grab a slice of pizza. Uh, you gotta get pizza when you're in New York. So we go into this kind of little dive that's got great pizza at like a deli counter. And so I grab my slice and my boss grabbed his slice and is already sitting. And I got my, so I got my slice and I got my soda. Because you don't have pop in New York in the Northeast, you got soda. So I'm balancing my soda and my big slice and it's kind of not centered on the plate, so I'm trying to make sure that's centered, and I think I'm getting at my wall to pay, and while I'm doing all that at the counter, this guy walks in, and it's like he walked out of Godfather or The Sopranos, you know, and he's like, hey, Jimmy, how you doing? It's like he, he owns the place. He's like, oh, and it's like everybody knows him, and he's like, ah, oh, yeah, how you doing? And he's got these white jeans on. They are the whitest jeans I've ever seen, bright white, they glow. And he's walking around and he's saying, hey, everybody, and I'm working with my pizza and my soda. And he walks behind me and he's kind of looking at what he's going to get. And he's right over here. And, uh, and right at that moment, the pizza shifts. The, the fulcrum uh, is off. And I'm like, uh, like, I don't know what to do. And so I just, I just pin the pizza against the glass. So I don't want to lose my slice and like sauce just sprays everywhere. So I'm, I look over at Tony Soprano here and he's standing there and he goes, whoa! And he's looking down at his pants and he's checking his pants out. No spots. He looks up and he goes, you're good. Notice he didn't say, I'm good. He said, you're good. I was like, whew, okay. So I just kind of slunk over to my table with my boss who was trying to shrink into the wall and I had my mush slice. But he, had he said, I'm good. He had declared me good. No stains on the pants, I'm good. All right, that's the picture. God says, hey, you're good. I'm calling you good. How does this happen? It's not because of Abram's obedience. It's because of what God did. Now, when we talked about that covenant, animals being cut in half, 
and blood pouring between them. And two parties walk through between them and they call curses down on themselves if they do not fulfill their end of the bargain. What do we remember about how, what happens in this chapter? Does Abram walk through? No, Abram's asleep. What goes through? A flaming torch and a smoking fire pit. All throughout the Bible, God is symbolized with fire and smoke. He's leading the Israelites through the wilderness, a pillar of fire, a pillar, a pillar of cloud. When he meets them at the mountain, smoke and fire. At Pentecost, fire and wind. God passes through on his behalf and Abram's behalf. He walks through the blood. He fulfills both ends of the deal. Abram is asleep. God initiates, sustains, and fulfills this covenant. He makes Abram right. He says, you're good, because I'm going to do it. I'm going to do both ends of the deal. And Paul, the apostle Paul, looks back on this and reflects back on that, on how that not only applies to him, to Abraham, but to all of us. There's a Rich Mullins song, uh, and it says, sometimes I think of Abraham, how one star he saw had been lit for me. You, the ones who have given your life to Jesus and believed in him, you're one of those stars he looked at. There's a really cool graphic that shows how the Bible connects, looks back and looks forward as one unified story. I want you to take a look at it because we're going to go to some passages. Isn't that beautiful? The bottom bar are the books of the Bible. They alternate in you know, white and gray. So we're over on the far left. We're in the white, pretty big bar there. That's Genesis. But way over where the slices get smaller in the New Testament, you can still see connecting cross-references. There's over 63,000 in the Bible where the Bible is referring to itself, pointing forward and pointing back. And uh, Paul looks back and says this about what it means to be called righteous. Romans 4, 23 through 25. Um, in a moment, we'll take a look at it. Yeah, but the words, it was counted to him, Abram, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It'll be counted to us who believe in him who raised the dead, uh, raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification, our justification. Right? So we get to be called children of Abraham when we put our trust in him. So Abram believed in the Lord and God said, that's righteousness. When we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done, God says, that's righteousness. I call you righteous. I declare you just. You're at peace. Jesus took that curse of the covenant. Look at Galatians 3, 13. Again, these are the words of Paul. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Isaiah 53, a prophecy about Jesus written hundreds of years before he did what he did on the cross. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, being made right with God. And by his wounds, we are healed. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. He was the lamb slain. Not only did he walk through the blood, he brought the blood himself. His own blood secures our righteousness as he fulfills this covenant. Abram believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. The fruit of our faith is peace with God. We were enemies of God and now he calls us friends because of what he did, not because of what we do. The only place that you can have your identity, your security, your meaning, your salvation, your destiny secured and safe is in the person and the work of God through Jesus Christ. And many of you in this room have experienced that fruit, that peace with God, that reconciliation, that purpose in life because you have done that. But I know there are people here and people online who you do not feel at peace with God. You recognize that you have not put your trust in him. You keep putting thing, your trust in other things that fail you or distort your life. And today is a day where you can put your trust in him. I would like to pray a prayer. And if you are ready to receive Jesus today as your source of hope and faith, your anchor, then let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are our rock. You are a rock of ages. You are faithful to your promises. You keep your covenant. Even when we fail, you never let us go. You are faithful and true. You are I am, our shield, our protection, and you are our salvation. And you have said that we are good and we are righteous and just because of what you have done. I know that I am sinful. I mess up all the time. And I've put my faith in other things that will not save me. They will not give me meaning in life. They will not secure my identity, but you can. And so now in this moment, I give my life to you. I surrender my life to you. I put my faith in you. Like Abraham, I believe in you. And I trust that you will call that righteousness and you will teach me to walk in your ways and you will let me argue with you and ask you questions and you will grow my faith as I learn to trust in you. In the name of Jesus, I pray this, amen. All right, if you prayed that prayer today, uh, right out the center uh, doors, we have our station, um, our next step station. And we have people that wanna talk to you about what that next step can be in this most important decision that you've made in your life. If you're not quite there yet, like I've still got questions, this doesn't all make sense to me, I need to know more. That center station is a great, safe place to ask those questions. We love dialoguing about that. If you're not ready yet, you can ask more questions out there. Online, go to rollinghills.org slash next steps. And we can also connect you with resources and people that can help you on that journey. I'd love for us to stand now as we worship the God of Abraham, the God of promises, the God who calls us righteous and just because of what he has done.